My name is Dave Latham. I'm the Director of Admissions at Reformed Theological Seminary in Charlotte, but I'm also a former RUF campus minister. I was a campus minister at Christopher Newport University in Newport News, Virginia. I was there from 2010 to 2015, and so I've, I've just been in this role for seven months, and uh, I'm really, really excited about just being here with you. Just as a soft sell, if anybody is even remotely interested in hearing about seminary, I'll be at the back of the room and I've got some packets. No pressure, right? No pressure. But if anybody's interested in hearing about seminary, what that looks like, feels like, we've got a counseling program prepping. uh, We've got a lot of folks who are like wanting to go do BRUF campus ministers, counselors, missionaries. Our job is like training folks. And so if you want to understand the Bible in a deeper way and might want to pursue that as like a master's level stuff, please come talk to me. Or if you just want to like talk about life, um, you know, I'm a former RUF guy, get it. If you want to talk about how to you know, maybe calm down this semester and not wind yourself, like whip yourself into a froth with all the tests and just how to find balance. Like, I'm here. Please let me uh, talk to you. I'd love to. I really would. I, I did want to make one quick plug here. Um, who here has been to summer conference? If you have not been to this, if you don't go to this this summer, you're crazy. And, like, I was the week one director last year for week one of summer conference. I will miss this the most because I can't go to summer conference this year. Like, if you don't go to this, you're crazy. Like, if I I told your parents, I'm going to give you beachfront at Panama City Beach, all meals included, with free sailboats, free volleyball, free, like, catamaran rides and stuff for 300 bucks, they could not write me the check fast enough. Like... Do you know how fun this is? Like, and I get it. I used to, seeing you, it was like all a bunch of kids from Northern Virginia, and they would always try to tell me, like, here's all the 15 ways that I'm going to go change the world right after I get finished. I get it. Y'all, after exams, you need this in your life. This is Jesus calling you to the crystal clear waters of Panama City Beach, Florida. We drove 16 hours in a car to get down from Southern Virginia down here. Wake Forest down there is chump change. Like, you can do this. Trust me. Go to summer conference. Best 300 bucks you'll spend. I love you enough to say that. I'm the visiting dude. I can say whatever I want. This would be the best 300 bucks you ever spent. Or less if you need a scholarship. Y'all, free beachfront. I'm telling you. It's the way to go. Okay, moving on. Tonight, let me just give you a quick little, we're going to look at Psalm 130. I know y'all have been doing a study through the Psalms of Ascent. Guess what? We're going to continue right on in that. So we're going to go to Psalm 130. If you have no idea where the Psalms are, that's fine. If it was a sin to use the table of contents, they wouldn't put it in there. Typically, kind of put your fingers in the middle of the Bible and open it up and you're roughly in Psalms. It's in the Old Testament. Find Psalm 130. I'm not insulting your intelligence. You just might not know, and that's okay. We're just glad you're here. Um, A quick little update on me. Um, I am originally from Greenwood, South Carolina. I met my wife at Camp Greystone. Some of y'all may have heard it if you've been to Fall Conference. I built the front half of that dining hall. I used to work there full time, lived on the camp property, met my wife on the property. We dated long distance while in summer and got married down there at the Shepherd's Gazebo next to the lake. So we're a camp family. And then uh, I have two kids. I have a, a seven-year-old son named Stokes who's in second grade. i got a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter named Ellie Grace who's in preschool. And uh, we live in Charlotte, and we love it. And so I'm happy to be here with you all kind of serving you in this way. 
And while you're turning there, accessing it on your phone, flipping it to it in your Bible, whatever you got, Psalm 130, it's eight quick verses. I just want you, again, to reiterate, thank you for giving up some of your time to come out tonight. I know you're busy. I know you got a lot going on, and so thank you. And wherever you are in the spiritual spectrum, whether you've been a Christian your whole life or whether you're here because somebody tricked you into coming or whether you're a total skeptic, wherever you are in that spiritual spectrum, there, I really want you to know that it's okay that you're not okay, even though you try to spend probably the bulk of your life trying to show everybody that you're actually okay, even though you're not. It's really okay that you're not okay because the gospel's really good news for screw-ups. I'm one of them. And so thank you for giving up your time to come out tonight and open up the Bible. One of the things that RUF really believes is the Bible's really true, every word of it. And RUF's not ashamed of that. This is beautiful, beautiful stuff, the Lord speaking to us. And so let's open up to Psalm 130. And I'm going to kind of set it up a little bit before I dive in. In 2004, when I was living at Camp Greystone, I lived in this tiny little house that was on the camp property that was ringed by these huge hemlock trees. I mean, like 80-foot tall, massive trunks around them in like a horseshoe around my house. And in 2004, Hurricane Ivan swept through the southeast. And living, living at the time in Tuxedo, the most intense rain hit in the middle of the night, like 50 to 60 mile-per-hour winds with like 80-mile-per-hour gusts. And six to eight inches of rain fell in one night. I don't know if you can comprehend how much rain that is. That is a pile of rain. Some of the upper elevations, like in Boone and up around that area, got almost a foot of rain in one night. It was just massive. And needless to say, like, we did not sleep a wink at all that night. Because all we could hear was that howling wind. We had a tin roof on our house, so just storms all night. And we just hoped and prayed that a tree didn't fall through our house, like one of those huge hemlock trees with all of that rain. We were just praying that one of those just didn't go right through the middle of our house. And really, morning could not arrive soon enough. And I don't know if you've had a maybe a similar night in your life, a similar experience. Maybe you've been on a camping trip or you've sat through a bad storm. Or maybe you just had like a really anxious night where you're worried about a test or, you know, something was going on at home. Um, And you just had one of these really, really anxious nights where it just kind of left you longing for the dawn to come. You're in the middle of the night and you're just like, man, I just I just want tomorrow to get here. There's also a show that, that I like to watch and have watched for a long time. I don't know if you've ever seen it or not. It's called Deadliest Catch. And it's Alaskan crab fishing in the Bering Sea. It's like the deadliest job you can get. And. It's Alaskan king crab fishing up the Bering Sea, which is up near Alaska and, like, Russia. I mean, it's, like, freaking freezing up there. And one, one night, there was the fleet was out fishing, and this massive storm hit. And that storm brought with it, like, 40 to 50-foot swells. I don't know if you can imagine. That's, like, five stories tall of these massive swells that are just going, and you're out in the middle of a freezing cold ocean. If you fall in there, you have less than a minute to live before hypothermia kicks in. And Captain Sig Hansen, who's one of the captains there of a boat of the ship called the Northwestern, this is like a really hardy Norwegian dude. He comes from like a line of fishermen, just like this really tough guy. And he said, if we can just make it till morning, we'll be okay. And you see him with his eyes, and he's scared to death. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't stop fishing for anything. And this night, it got so bad that even this hardened fisherman said, we need to shut this down and just survive. And if we can just get till tomorrow morning, we'll be okay and we'll make it. 
And he had to stay up all night while the rest of the folks were cowering in the, in the bottom of the boat. Who wouldn't be? And he had to like work the throttle and jog the waves all night, really kind of by feel or by moonlight, just to keep the boat afloat so that it wouldn't capsize. And the thing about it is the dawn, when the sun finally broke, it brought relief that the storm had passed. Finally, like, I can actually see what's coming. And as we look at this psalm tonight, Psalms 120 through 135, I'll start with this little inspired uh, text here in the Hebrew. It's a psalm of ascents. And there's some debate about what these were actually used for, but pilgrims used to sing these songs together on their way to Jerusalem several times a year. And what they would do is they would move from the valley below up to the Temple Mount and then up to the stairs of the temple. So they would start in the valley, ascend the hill, and then ascend into the temple. So they would sing these songs as they ascended up into the temple. That's where you get the Psalms of Ascent from. And this may have been an early hymn book used for the seven major feast days. And the thing about it is, while Psalm 130 is a psalm of ascent, you will see it actually ascends in its eight verses. The, the tone of the psalm rapidly moves in one direction in eight, in eight quick verses. It basically moves from spiritual shame to hope and assurance in eight quick verses. And so just kind of keep that in your mind here as we read this psalm. Psalm 130, I'll be reading from the ESV, whatever you have is fine. Let's give attention to the reading of God's Word. A Song of Ascents. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in His Word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord does indeed stand forever. I'm very thankful for that tonight. Let's pray and ask the Lord to be with us as we move here. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you're not hiding from us. And Lord, we pray that just in these next few moments, we're all busy and we got a lot going on. I'm worried about my family. I'm tired. I've been working all day. Lord, I, I just pray that you would calm our hearts. Speak to us, Lord. Help us to see your grace and your mercy. And Lord, help us to leave change here, even just a little bit. And we ask and pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a guy named John of the Cross who was a 16th century Spanish priest. And he wrote this poem that's called The Dark Night of the Soul. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. And it's this poem that describes this feeling of spiritual loneliness and desolation and this guilt and shame over sin. And, and at some point in our lives, it, it might even be right now, we all experience this feeling. We feel like sin has us by our throat and we're about to be capsized by a 40-foot wave. We just feel overwhelmed. We feel just at a complete loss for words about how to proceed. And we just don't know what to do other than just kind of throw our hands up. And we feel like we're about to be taken over. And the big questions that I want us to think about tonight as we move through this text. What do we do when we experience a dark night of the soul? What, what are we to do when we feel like a tree is about to drop or has dropped through our spiritual house? What do we do? Where do we go in those moments? Psalm 130 responds in three really incredible ways. And those are our points if you're taking notes at home. They're on your handout. 
Number one, God's a gracious listener. We see that God is a gracious forgiver. And finally, God's a gracious redeemer. Those are our three things we're going to look at. So let's, let's look at that first one. God's a gracious redeemer. Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. Starts out, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Did y'all pick up that song that we sang from the depths of woe? Straight out of Psalm 130. It says, Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my pleas for mercy. Oftentimes I feel like when we're in anguish, we feel like nobody's listening. You ever felt like that? We have this moment where something's really going down and you just don't feel like anybody really gets you. Nobody can really understand. The author of the psalm here cries out from the depths. And that's water language. Like Isaiah 51 talks about this deep water. I'm up to my neck in deep water. Psalm 69 talks about like this deep mire, like a bog or a swamp. It's like water language. Out of the depths, out of this swamp, I cry to you, O Lord. And, and really, the, you think about the author here is drowning in his sin. And he's crying out to the Lord for help. And, and this raw urgency and honesty in this verse is really, really tangible because we've all had this, we've all had this feeling. I've had the late night car rides back where I have screwed up royally. And, and my only response is like, Lord, please forgive me. I am in it up to my neck. I don't know what to do here. I've, I've had this situation where something's gone down in my life or, or somebody's gotten hurt or I just feel it a total, I feel my weakness just right there. And I just cry out and go, I, I don't know what to do here, Lord. That's where the psalmist finds himself right here. I don't know if you saw this movie that came out probably about five or six years ago called 127 Hours. The story of Aaron Ralston, who was hiking in the remote canyons of Utah, and what happens is he falls into a uh, he falls into like a ravine, and he gets his arm trapped by a boulder up against the side of the of the side of the wall, the canyon wall that he's in. And the thing that's amazing about this is he goes from cocky cocky arrogance and self confidence to sheer desperation in an instant. He had hiked those things a million times before. And, you know, he just said, I've got this. I'm just going to go out for a quick little run and I'll be back. And then the next thing you know, he finds himself stuck in a canyon with his arm pinned to the wall. And suddenly the situation changes and he realizes right then that he's hopelessly stuck in a deep canyon and he's miles away from help. He can yell all he wants. Nobody's going to hear him. He's in one of like tens of thousands of ravines that look just like that. This is not good. It's a desperate situation that he's in. And there's this scene in the movie that's just terrifying where what happens is there's this this huge rainstorm that comes through. And it's all sandstone, so it doesn't really soak up the water. It just runs off. And where does water flow? To the lowest point, right? So what happens is it's just dumping rain. And all of a sudden, I mean, remember, he is stuck to the side of a canyon. He can't go anywhere. And the ravine starts filling up with water. It's a flash flood and he's there and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up and it keeps coming up. And he's, he's wondering, is this it? And it keeps coming up 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 and it stops right here before it starts going down. He can't go anywhere. It's, it's just a picture of absolute, uh, he's, he's messed up, man. This is not good. It's desperate. And this is where the psalmist finds himself up to his neck in desperation and brokenness, and he can only cry out for help. 
And by the work of the Holy Spirit here, this, this mirror of the soul is put in front of him, and he's got nowhere to hide. And the unvarnished truth about himself just snaps him into reality. And look at what he says here. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Hear my cries for mercy. Exclamation point, exclamation point. It's the imperative voice. Hear me, Lord. Please hear me. And this cry for help, I think, gives us insight into our own hearts. We're like when trouble strikes, we feel like we're the only ones who are facing problems and we're entitled to an answer. And we get frustrated by the silence or we get frustrated by the fact that nobody really hears us and can get us. And the thing about it here is this psalmist is crying out for help and he finds that God is a gracious listener. God's not dead. God is not out to lunch. God is near to his people. And this is amazing, y'all, because God, think about it, God could ignore us because we've all sinned against him and we're all guilty. We just are. That's why the, the gospel will never make sense to you if you don't understand the real truth about yourself is that you kind of come dead on arrival. The good news makes way more sense when you hear the bad news first. That's like how the whole book of Romans works. First three chapters, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. Then fire hose of good news for the rest of the book. And the amazing thing about this is we really deserve to be left alone in the canyon. Pinned to the wall with nobody to hear us. That's what, our sin, that's what we deserve because of our sin. But here's the crazy thing. God does hear us. And he does respond. Psalm 40 verse 1 says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And he inclined to me and heard my cry. And God graciously listens to the cries of needy sinners like us. And the psalmist continues to think about his plight. And he finds that, point two, God's a gracious forgiver. Not, so, not just that God's ear is open, but that he wants to forgive. He's ready to forgive. Look at what verse 3 says. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? The NIV, if you have that, it says if you kept a record of sins, like a, like a ledger board or like a grade book. Um, if you, think about that. Like if, if you had a mark for every offense against God for your whole life, what would that look like? It'd be covered, just like mine. Covered. And notice the psalmist is not in court here crying not guilty. He's not saying I didn't do it. He knows he did it. He feels the weight of it. He knows his ledger's full of marks. He knows he's guilty and deserving of wrath. Even the folks who have sung and read this psalm for centuries know this about themselves. The tail end of that psalm we're reading, and, and he will save Israel you know, from all their sin and sorrow. Psalm 130 reminds us yet again of God's holiness and our depravity. There's a huge gulf there. He's holy, 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 and we are not, not, not. And that's a problem. Sin's got us by the throat, and we're condemned. But when faced with this prospect, even the most calloused heart echoes the cry of the psalmist. Who could stand? Who could stand before you if that was really true? Which it is. If you kept a record of sins, which you do, who can stand before you? We forget our plight. We think we're pretty good people, right? I mean, I went to a small private liberal arts school. I got good grades, president of everything. You know, kept my nose clean, didn't get thrown in jail. You know, I had my life put together. And I thought that I thought that I was just working on my own my own fuel. I didn't believe that I, that I wasn't okay. I thought I was pretty okay. And really it got to the point where I just got worn out of trying to be good all the time and trying to be right and trying to be the best 
Because the thing you find is that if you keep trying to be the best at everything, somebody's always going to be better at you, better than you at it. And that's either going to crush you or it's going to make you redouble your efforts to try to beat them. And either one of those is going to lead you to a bad place. The point is to try to, where do we find our hope outside of our own efforts? I'm 35. I've been married going on 13 years. Like the thing I have realized about myself is like, I do not have it together on any day of the week. And being married reveals that to you, just what a selfish jerk you are when all you do is really think about yourself. And then when you have children, then you realize really what a selfish jerk you are. And suddenly you just get to the point where you're like, I can't keep this up on my own. I cannot do it on my own. And I know you're worn out and I know you're tired. And you're only like four weeks into the semester. And some of y'all are about ready to give it up right now. I know. I know. I get it. I know y'all are like, Y'all are like going through your flashcards in your head right now. And when you get the test back, you're like trying to sneak and see like if your score was better than the others. And here's the thing. Why in the world do you want to keep running on that treadmill knowing full well that you're never going to get off of it? When the gospel and this scripture is sitting here going, get off the treadmill. Stop it. You're killing yourself. This is such good news for folks like you and me. You know what? I'm a performance hound. I want y'all to like me. I do. I really do. I want you to like me. And I want you to come to my school. (laughs) And I want John to ask me back to come back again because this is fun. Right? And I want you to like me. And I want you to see just how cool I am. And I can fake it for about an hour, right? But if you had to ride home with me, you're like, who is this guy? Here's the thing, y'all. We give ourselves a little pat on the back when we show patience towards others, right? We show a little grace, we do a little something, and we forget just how patient God is with us. We forget that it took nothing less. If you're a Christian, this needs to get into your heart. This needs to get under the, like, armor that you keep on. It took nothing less than the death of God's perfect son on the cross to redeem you from hell. Nothing else would do it. It took nothing less than that. And God did it freely. But think about this. Just as like we're, we're thinking about this, and just as we're about to be overtaken by the rising water, verse 4 reminds us of God's gracious forgiveness. Watch this. But, but with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. What a promise. <laughs> what a gospel. If you kept a record of sins, who could stand? The answer is nobody. But with you there's forgiveness of sin. We hit, like, we're going down, but then all of a sudden this life raft deploys in verse 4. And suddenly, we're coming back up to the surface. I want to do a sermon series one day entitled, God Has a Big Butt, with one T, not twos. Because there are so many amazing passages in the Bible that hinge on this word but. This is one of them. And let's, let, me, let me read you another one. Ephesians 2, 1 through 5. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and man, and were by, by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's something that like people crochet on their pillowcases, right? Mm, that's a snuggly verse. Tell me how messed up I am. I'm like throwing myself off the cliff of sin. Mm, that makes me feel so good. I can't wait to memorize that one, right? 
Then look what happens. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, even because of the great love of which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. And it's by grace that you've been saved. Man, what a promise. It's one of those passages where the truck is careening off the cliff and God steps in. There, here's why the gospel is really good news for us. There's this band, maybe you've heard of them, the Avett Brothers. They sing this song called Shame. And it just goes, shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. I am an ex-REF campus minister, so I'm entitled to mention the Avett Brothers at least once. But I am going to hold off on the Lord of the Rings and C.S. Lewis references. Shame, shame, boatloads of shame, day after day, more of the same. And my life feels like that sometimes. And the good news is that shame-filled, broken people find undeserved grace and forgiveness with God. And this psalmist owns it, and he earnestly repents of it. And God responds by taking that mark-covered slate, and he breaks it on the ground at the foot of the cross. And here's the thing. That last phrase of verse 4 reminds us of the greater purpose of God. It says that you may be feared. That's like honored and esteemed. That's not like cowering under the table. That's like honored. That's reverence talk. And notice it doesn't say that you may be taken for granted. It says so that you may be honored. I get this forgiveness and I understand it. And, I'm, and I want to honor you from what you've done on the cross for me. And some people would say, well, doesn't that just make God this vain, selfish egomaniac that like he gets all the worship? Like that's kind of selfish, God. I mean, at the end of the day, it's like, what would you rather worship yourself? I mean, what do you possibly bring to the table? Nothing. Nothing. And here's the beauty, here's the beauty of it. If God, it, it's not egomania, it's unbelievable grace and love that the Lord of all the, the heavens and the earth, His Son came and died the death that you deserved so that you could walk in newness of life and be forgiven. I mean, if that's, that is unbelievable grace. And this, this life raft is deployed, the psalmist is thrust upward, finally morning is broken, the psalm is passed, Hang with me, I'm almost done. Point three, really short. God is a gracious redeemer. There's this hymn that I love. It's called My Jesus, I Love Thee. Have you ever heard it? It goes a little something like this. Let me sing you a little bit of it. It goes, My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee, all the follies of sin, I resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. It's one of those ones you want. I want sung at my funeral one day. Here's the thing, verse 5 and 6. My soul waits for the Lord. I wait. In His Word, I hope. And there's these two names for God used in these verses, Yahweh and Adonai. Yahweh, this covenant-making God. I'm, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. Adonai, my Lord, like King. It's kind of that way to think about it. Verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord, Yahweh. My soul, my whole guts. That, that word in the Hebrew means like my everything, my very innards, wait. And what's, what gives this psalmist hope? The covenant promises of a covenant God who's always going to keep his end of the bargain to broken people like you and me. And here's the thing. Psalm 40, verse 2. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet on a rock. 
Psalm 42, 5. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For again, I shall praise him, my salvation. Think back, look at, look back at verse six real quick, where he says, my soul waits for the Lord. He waits for, that's Adonai, my king, my ruler, more than the watchman for the morning. Think back to the longest night you've ever had. Like that chemistry test that you didn't study for, that you know is coming and you're not, you're going to like pull an all nighter. Like think back to the longest night you have ever had in your life. What did you never have to doubt? That the sun was going to come up. You took it for granted. You never doubted that the sun was going to come up. And what, like we take that for granted. Many of us hate the mornings. You're like, oh, sun. The psalmist didn't. His whole entire being strained to see that first glimmer of light. And the king has come and he sits on his throne. In Revelation 22, Jesus is called the bright morning star. And the amazing thing is like in this passage, we've moved from the dark night of the soul to the bright morning star. And the psalm has moved from shame to redemption, just like the whole Bible moves from shame to redemption. Genesis 3, the train wreck of humanity. If you think, like if you open up your Bible and you flip past the table of contents and all the like weights and measures and stuff that nobody really reads, and you get to the first page of the Bible, humanity makes it a page and a half before we blow it. A page and a half. Two pages if it's large print or has a lot of notes. And that's being generous. So what's the whole rest of the Bible about? God making a way for all the screw-ups in Genesis 3 to be put back right. In, Genesis, in Revelation 21 and 22 mirrors Revel, Genesis 1 and 2. The Bible comes full circle where God says, You're mine and you're my people and I'm going to make it right for you and I'm going to make the way. This amazing thing about the Scripture. And notice what happens here in verse 7. He says... O Israel, hope in the Lord, exclamation point. In light of all this, this is where your hope is found. Now it's a cry of trust. I'll trust in you. Why? Verse 8. He will redeem Israel from all their iniquity. He will do it. He will do it. You never have to doubt it. If God says he's going to do it, he's going to keep his end of the bargain. To the end. And the amazing thing about it is, God really is a gracious listener and forgiver and redeemer. And because of Jesus, we're forgiven and can stand once again in his presence. And God sent Jesus to, re- to seek and reclaim screwed up people like us and redeem them. The amazing thing about it is the tree doesn't fall on us, which we rightly deserve. The tree doesn't fall on us because it fell on him first. Jesus took the tree so that you didn't have to. And that means that you don't have to stay up all night wondering if one's going to go through your spiritual house. What it allows you to do is to trust in the one who took the tree for you and to rest in him and to close the book every now and then or turn your phone off and to just say, I'm going to rest and I'm going to trust you. Even when it's hard and scary, I'm going to do it. I don't understand what's going on. I don't know where this is going to end up. But Lord, I do know that you love me and you're good and you're going to keep your end of the bargain. And what I'm going to try to do is respond in faith and not do what I normally do, which is get out a spreadsheet and come up with a plan. But to just go, I'm going to trust you, Lord, and I'm going to give it a rip because you're good and you love me. And it's scary. Oh, trust me, it's scary. But But the Lord shows up in amazing ways. Look at this thing right here at the end where it says, He will redeem Israel from all his iniquities, and he asks us to be like the watchmen for the morning who strain to see that first light, 
to wait and to trust and to hope and to look. And the call of the psalm is to be like those watchmen, to wait for the Lord and to put our trust and hope in Him. What a crazy, what a crazy psalm. What an amazing gospel that if that's really true, that's worth banking your life on. Trust me. If that is really, really true, that's crazy talk. That the God of all, the God of the universe who's perfect would give up his life to die for his enemies. You know, Jesus is the only king in human history who's ever died for his enemies. If that's really true, that's the best news humanity could hear. And it really, really helps us to rest and understand that it's okay that we're not okay. Because Jesus has made it okay. Let's talk afterwards. Let me pray. Sorry I went long. My fault. Lord, let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you that you move towards broken people like us. And help us really to rest in you and not in our own efforts. It's scary. And we worry about it. We're all going through our list of things that we're worried about. We're worried about the test that's coming up. We're worried about stuff going on at home. We're worried about roommate stuff. We're worried about all these different things, Lord, and and help us to really find our hope and our trust and our rest in you. Thank you for your word, and thank you that you love us. And we pray and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.